Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with stocks trying to make a comeback after the Dow fell short of tying its longest daily win streak since all the way back in the 1890s. And blame Asia and a hawkish policy pivot from the Bank of Japan. U.S. investors weighing the long-term impact for Wall Street. And shares of Intel, they are surging ahead of the open. The company back in the black after two quarters of losses. What CEO Pat Gelsinger is telling CNBC about that turnaround. We'll have that coming up. Plus, Ford throws some cold water on its EV demand expectations. And then later in the show, how retail investors can play a possible P.E. deal-making rebound. It is Friday, July the 28th, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready for your day. As always, we're going to kick things off with a check on U.S. stock futures. As you can see, they are green across the board. A big boost this morning on the back of Intel and a surprise Q2 report. Taking a look at shares of Intel this morning in the pre-market right now, we're seeing shares up over 6.5%. We'll continue to watch this throughout the morning. We'll have more on it in just a moment. So this, after a wild day of trading on Wall Street yesterday, this saw the Dow on track to tie its longest daily win streak since 1897 before losing steam late in the day. Investors blaming the bearish turn on the Bank of Japan and initial reports before the actual confirmation overnight that it would be tweaking its ultra-loose monetary policy to allow the country's benchmark 10-yield to rise above 0.5%. Taking a look right here, you're seeing the upside move on the chart. That shift could send Japanese investors who traditionally have vast holdings of U.S. fixed income and other U.S. securities running back, running back to chase higher yields in their own front yards and selling those U.S. assets along the way. That's the fear. Check out the Japanese 10-year right now. We're taking a look. Again, you're seeing that sharp move to the upside. A similar move here at home with our own 10-year yield. Take a look, the benchmark 10-year. Um, as you can see, that yield above 4% right now, a big move to the upside from what we've seen in recent weeks, especially after that CPI report where we saw yields fall. All right, time now to see how global markets are, are digesting this news. Our Arabile Goumide, he's live in our London newsroom with the trade. Arabile, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Frank. So actually, that trading picture meant that the Nikkei uh, actually uh, had gone a lot weaker than more than 2% losses in terms of uh, that opening picture in trade. 
But eventually then, that actually recovered quite a bit. And now you're seeing it even four-tenths of a percent weaker by the close of that trading picture is the Nikkei then 225. Across the rest of the Asian trade, though, we did see some positivity. But if we zone in on that Japanese market then, we've pointed to how the Nikkei itself was down four-tenths of a percent then very significantly. But actually the dollar, which has been pretty much flat, has seen the yen, however, uh, get some weakness on this front. Even though initially it had actually pushed quite significantly higher yesterday, around a third of a percent strengthened for the yen across uh, this U.S. dollar reign. It had set at 138. Now look at that, even almost touching 140 at some stage uh, on the back of the news of that uh, control, so to speak, then loosening somewhat of that yield control curve. The 10-year, well, there it is, 0.575. That's the highest number that it has reached since September 2014, even touching 0.6 at some stage as well. So those are the key issues then to kind of look at and worry about uh, for that yield right now. Overall then, how are European markets performing then today if we switch focus a little bit? Quite a lot of earnings news has certainly come out, whether it be the banks, the likes of Standard Chartered, even NatWest here uh, locally as well in the UK. So that has meant that we've seen the FTSE 100 push up two tenths of a percent. Some gains as well for the IBEX 35, but the rest of the market turning negative, unfortunately. Overall, though, we are expected to see a second positive week out of three for a lot of markets across Europe. Only the CAC 40 out in France seems to be negative on the week. Frank. All right, Arabile, thank you very much. And Arabile, by the way, you got to tell me when we're wearing all black if we're going to keep this bromance going, man. You got to let me know. <laughs> Arabile Gumade, we'll live do it London every Friday. Newsroom. Let's do it. Next time, next time. All right, good to see you. All right, let's dig deeper into the Bank of Japan and the day ahead for investors with Kevin Karen, Senior Portfolio Manager at Washington Crossing Advisors. Kevin, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning. Great to be here. All right, so Arabile hit on some of that news. The Bank of Japan and its new policy really putting the brakes on what could have been a historic run for the Dow. Um, how do you see it impacting the market day ahead, keeping in mind the Dow futures right now up fractionally? Yeah, I think that this is a story that's going to play out over weeks and months and not days. Uh, but, the, of course, the, the, the shock of having the Bank of Japan come away from a long-held policy of yield cur curve control is something different that the market's going to have to digest. Uh, but the bigger story that's been going on is that the data for the economy globally and here in the United States has proven far more resilient than the vast majority of forecasters were looking for at the beginning of the year. There was tremendous bearishness at the beginning of the year. And then the reversing and the re-rating of that expectation on, was like the uncoiling of a spring okay. that has allowed the markets to have a bit of a rally off the bottom. Right. So obviously with a lot of bullish sentiment out there in the market. I want to come back to the Bank of Japan and its shift on YCC. You say it's going to play out over the next couple of weeks. Give us a sense. Where do you see it playing out the most? Is it the bond market? Is it equities? Are there certain sectors that are going to be more impacted than others? Well, it's going to be everything. It's going to be bond market currency and, and equities. All of this, of course, is a complex dynamic that involves multiple economies. And, and what, I, what I'm saying is that this story with, the, with uh, where yields go in Japan has got to be put in the context of a, of, of a global monetary system where you've had uh, an ex a large amount of tightening all around the world, okay. uh, putting pressure on the Bank of Japan. Well, but let's talk and about what you're doing for a second, Kevin. You're overweight on, yeah. on foreign equities versus the U.S. Yeah. Does that change that thesis at all for you? No, because if you, if you think about the cause of it, uh, a, lot of the, a, a good deal of the cause of this has been stronger, 
stronger growth than expected in many parts of the world, especially in Europe. Uh, but the other part of the, the more uh, constructive call by Washington Crossing on foreign comes from the fact that multiples around the world are much cheaper than here in the United States. I think we're at something like 20 times earnings here in the United States after a big rally in the first half. Right. The rest of the world is much cheaper. So that's a longer term okay. uh, play for us. So you see a value trade overseas. I want to look forward. We have PCE yeah. later today. That's one of the preferred inflation gauges for the Fed. How do you see that impacting the market? Again, we saw Jay Powell say the Fed will remain data dependent. How important is this one, knowing that we have some other inflation reports coming up before September? Yeah, it's very it's very important because the rise in inflation off the off the bottom a couple of years ago was very steep as we had a, a lot of money creation. You had a forty percent increase in money supply during in M two during the uh, during the pandemic. And what we was we hoped to see is that that inflation rate would roll over, and it is, but it's kind of sticky in terms of how it's rolling over. The, if there's a, a a salve in here anyway, it's anywhere. It's the fact that the the bond market has gotten ahead of this. So already we're looking at. Uh, over 5%, 5.5% forward expectations on rates looking out a year. Okay. And now you've got the 10-year back up you know, essentially 4% right now. So All the market's right. anticipating higher yields already. All right, Kevin, thank you very much. Great to have you here. Thank you. Turn Good our to attention now to a big money mover and one that's pushing the Dow futures higher. That's Intel. The stock sharply higher in the pre-market after reporting second quarter results that topped estimates and a return of profitability for the first time in six months, also issuing a stronger-than-expected forecast. Here is CEO Pat Gelsinger sitting down with our own John Ford, looking ahead to Q3. Inventory levels just portend well to the second half of the year, and the product roadmap is going to get stronger in the second half as we launch Meteor Lake. And in particular, Meteor Lake brings in the AI capabilities, the neural processor as part of that. So we believe this launches the AI PC generation. All right, joining me now is CounterPoint Research Senior Analyst Akshara Basi. Akshara, great to have you here. Thank you. All right, taking a look at Intel moving higher in the pre-market along with the SMH ETF, that's the chip ETF. What is this return of profitability for Intel? What does it say about that company and the broader chip sector? Uh, I think uh, Intel's return to profitability is actually uh, Intel making upon its promises. So we have been heard, uh, like we see the Intel returning to profitability after uh, two straight quarters. And then I think this is whole of its IDM strategy now Actually, showing the fruits which have which we, we which we have been uh, listening to about, from, particularly from the last three four quarters, and from a chipset perspective, I think this is Intel showing its advancement in nodes in terms of performance with the Meteor Lake launching on its first EUV node. So I think this is Intel keeping on its promises now. So it's important to note when we talk about Intel shares surging, they did beat expectations, but. There's still a trend of six quarters of revenue decline and continued weakness in their data center business. We heard from Meta, another big gainer this week. They're trying to increase their data centers. And really, a lot of that business is focused on AI-powered chips. Where is Intel when it comes to AI-powered chips? What's the long-term outlook? I think Intel's long-term outlook on AI chips is going really good. So Intel has Gaudi and Habana which is uh, which is its AI portfolio in terms of competition with the 
uh, chips from NVIDIA or AMD. And I think they are, in, in the recent benchmarks, they performed really, really uh, great in terms of TCO and overall performance improvements. And I think Intel's uh, portfolio is also looking very strong when it when we see integrating AI into its capabilities, whether we talk about the CPUs uh, with its next-gen going with power cores and efficient cores, and then with their GPUs, which is with the launching with Flex and Max ranges. So I think Intel is really ramping up its AI portfolio in order to uh, uh, in order to cater the hyperscalers better. Right. And as the CEO said in its earnings, they already have a $1 billion pipeline, which is majorly dominated by Gaudi 2. And Gaudi 3 is, I think, uh, slated for next year. You know, you're bringing up that $1 billion pipeline. That's important to note. And that sounds pretty good. But when you compare it to NVIDIA's $20 billion pipeline when it comes to AI chips, it doesn't seem as great. NVIDIA seems to kind of be the outlier. They were way ahead when it comes to AI chips. So put it in perspective for us. Obviously, $20 billion is amazing. But is $1 billion pretty good in this current environment as a lot of these chip makers are trying to catch up with NVIDIA? Um, I think yes, because we have to see NVIDIA is right now supplying out majorly accelerators, which is the GPUs. But as the as the AI deployments grow, uh, the deployments or the servers would need CPUs also. And Intel is very well positioned to take up that demand of the CPUs, which will rise again as the AI deployments uh, as the AI deployments kind of go into the next stage, which is inferencing or going it at the edge. So Intel is really positioned, and then there is a. a there is a performance and TCO perspective also. So the TCO is very, very important when we talk about large-scale deployments. So I think Intel is banking on that, that their chips are really, really uh, good at giving a better TCO uh, okay. in terms when we talk with NVIDIA. Okay, Akshara Basi, great to have you here. Thank you for your time and for your insight. A lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, the price of oil skyrocketing higher in July, but is it taking energy stocks along for that ride? Plus, Ford throws some cold water on its EV demand expectations. What that means for GM, Tesla, and the rest, that's coming up. And then later in the show, a possible private equity deal-making rebound in the works. How retail investors can get ahead of that trend, it's our summer stock spotlight, and it's coming up when Worldwide Exchange returns. Brought to you by Eden Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eden Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at EdenVance.com slash CNBC. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment's objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. 
All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We are watching the price of U.S. crude very briefly trading above 80 bucks a barrel for the first time since April. However, as you can see, lower this morning. It's been on quite a run this month. WTI and Brent are up between 12 and 13 percent in July and up more than 3 percent this week alone. The move coming amid strong economic data here in the U.S., speculation of further stimulus measures in China and how that's going to boost demand and what else? Production cuts by OPEC. At the same time, Gas prices are at an eight-month high, up just about 4% in the last month. AAA says the national average for regular is about $3.71 a gallon, still about 60 cents cheaper than just one year ago. Let's talk more about this now with John Kilduff, founding partner at Again Capital, and, of course, a CNBC contributor, friend of the show. John, great to have you here. All right, good morning. All right, let's start off with something that happened yesterday. GDP coming in better than expected. Does that... Uh, give a boost to the oil market, even though it's technically a backward-looking measure? Yeah, no doubt, Frank, because it, it speaks to demand in the economy uh, and, and globally, not only just here, but uh, but globally. And, um, you know, just overall good consumer sentiment. Get, so gasoline demand, strong diesel demand, strong jet fuel demand, it all feeds in. To the extent we were worried about a slowdown across those sectors, uh, that GDP number certainly, uh, you know, vanquished that. All right, so that gave a little bit of a boost. I want to talk to you about two different forces. Number one, China, slower recovery than expected, but a lot of promises about stimulus. At the same time, the Saudis cutting oil. Are we setting up for a rally when it comes to oil? Do, we, do you think in the last few weeks we saw the bottom and now we're on an upswing from here on? Yeah, the China situation has definitely been a big headwind uh, to the oil prices as far as going up. Uh, you know, they're, they're, the, they're as important on the demand side as the Saudis are on the, on the production side and the supply side. Uh, and so finally, with China and the government, they're stepping up, it appears, to try to get their economy going again, finally, because uh, they thought it would just happen, I guess, um, you know, magically coming out of COVID and the lockdown ending there like it happened here in in Europe uh, and not getting that, they're finally stepping up. But yes, it looks like the, the, the one-two punch here and the market is finally crediting the Saudis for this. They are constraining supply. It's looking like it's showing up. The logistics and other measures that we keep an eye on, it looks like the Saudi exports could be dipping below 7 million barrels a day here uh, for this month and next. Uh, and that is going to be a pinch on global supplies. All right. I'm looking at some oil stocks right now while we're sitting here talking. I'm seeing Chevron down one percent. Um, in general, we have some, uh, you know, obviously oil companies reporting everything we're seeing. What's the read through? What are you expecting to see when it comes to the results? Again, GDP is backwards looking, but it gives us a sense that maybe demand was higher than we expected. This is going to go right to the bottom line. I mean, these companies now next quarter at this price persists and it should uh, are going to you know, surprise and, and you're going to see a re-rating uh, of all of them once again. I mean, look, last year with the Russian invasion of Ukraine and, and, the, and the oil price going over $100 a barrel, as you saw, that's halcyon days for these companies. You know, you have you know, that's why you t you, you'll hear the talk out of Congress about windfall profits and the like, because, yeah, they're exposed to that. That's their lottery ticket. And last year they cashed in. Uh, but I will tell you that right now uh, the refining margins, for example, too, haven't come down. And with gasoline prices soaring the way they are, the gasoline uh, crack spread, the refining margin profit, is at its highest now again in, in months. So that's also going to be rewarding the Exxon Mobiles, the Valeros, uh, the Chevrons of the, of the world here. So um, this is a very good place to be in right now. Uh, you saw Hess, for example, uh, you know, even in this environment where it's not 100, but it's only, only 70, right. doing terrific. So these companies have been you know, honing their skills, uh, cutting costs, uh, and wringing their profits out of even just, seven, even just $70 a barrel. Even just 70 bucks a barrel. 
John Kilduff, it is always great to have you here. Thank you for your time and for your insight. Thank you, Frank. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, why Sweetgreen is leaving a sour taste in investors' mouths this morning. We have your big money movers. They're coming up right after this. Stay with us. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. All right, time now for your big money movers. A sunny day for first solar stock after beating Q2 revenue and earnings expectations driven up by ramped up production and deliveries of the company's next generation Series 7 modules. First Solar also announcing it will build a fifth U.S. factory as it looks to expand its domestic footprint. Taking a look at shares of First Solar right now up 9%. A bittersweet story for shares of Sweetgreen. Tumbling after the salad chain reported weak sales but narrower losses from the year earlier period. CEO John Newman attributing labor savings from less turnover and more efficient store staffing as a key factor for improved margins, with same store sales growing 3% due to price hikes. Still, the stock is up more than 60%. This year so far, shares of Sweetgreen, however, down more than 10% in the pre-market. Shares of Roku getting the green light on a strong second quarter and upbeat Q3 revenue forecast due to improved ad sales. The streaming company remains cautious, however, warning of a prolonged slowdown in the ad spending as Hollywood actors and writers strikes, they weigh on the TV programming schedule this fall. Looking at shares of Roku, up more than 8%. And Ford says second quarter profit nearly tripled from a year ago while revenue rose 12%, moving the automaker to hike its guidance for the year. But that beaten raise is being overshadowed by the company pushing back production targets for its electric vehicles. Also breaking this morning, a recall of more than 870,000 F-150 trucks here in the U.S., Shares extending losses on that news. You can see shares are down more than 2% right now. Ford also sounding a note of caution on one of the industry's biggest bets, saying customer demand for EVs will be slower than expected, at least in the near term. Let's talk about that in the global EV race with Tim Higgins, technology reporter at The Wall Street Journal and a CNBC contributor. Tim, good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning. All right, so we all know that EVs, that's the long-term trend. That's where automobiles are going away from internal combustion engines. We have sustainability pledges. Uh, we just have all types of things pushing us in that direction. But what are the near-term headwinds that we have Ford saying they're going to cut back on production and even Elon Musk saying Tesla will do the same in the near term? Yeah, the challenge here is, is price, really. Uh, one of the things that really uh, kind of shook uh, investors in Tesla was the the suggestion by Elon Musk that maybe price cuts aren't done uh, this year. That he wasn't he wasn't committing to this idea that he wasn't going to cut any more prices. And and it, really, that's kind of gets at the overall issue in the industry is electric cars are just more pricey than gas cars. And what will what will customers pay for? Uh, and so we've seen a little bit of a price war. Uh, and when we look at Ford's results. And you see that they're losing what forty thousand dollars on the sale of the the Mach E. Each Mach E, that's uh, that's you know kind of uh, something that shakes investors. It shakes the company, the C suite, and, and it is worrisome if you're going to have an electric future. I mean, it's certainly not sustainable to continue to see losses when you sell a vehicle. I want to dig a little bit deeper in prices, not only prices of EVs, but also gas prices. I'm taking a look at AAA right now. Uh, regular unleaded, 13% lower than a year ago, 25% lower than the all-time high in June of last year. Um, do gas prices 
if they stay where they are, does that continue to be pressure on the EV market, despite just the, you know, the macro trend and people looking for more sustainable, sustainable vehicles? And there's also, at least here in the U.S., federal regulations pushing the market that way. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, years ago when the auto industry was was thinking about electric vehicles, it thought it needed to compete against gas prices. And that's why uh, they really struggled with bringing out a kind of an affordable electric vehicle that really could kind of could kind of compete in that area. What the, the, the breakthrough that Tesla had was sell an electric vehicle that was so cool, that was so uh, sexy that it, it wasn't about price. It was about uh, performance or uh, something else. And that was kind of the winning model for them. As we tried, as the industry tries to move forward to get more people into electric vehicles, the challenge with price is going to be the issue there. Uh, just because you know a person is looking at it as maybe their daily driver, and they're weighing all of these things: range, uh, how far they can go on a charge, right. uh, the cost of ownership. These are kind of the major levers that are being pulled. Let's talk about competition overall. We're highlighting some of the biggest players, Ford and Tesla and some of their plans to cut back production. But we're also seeing increased competition. Our Phil LeBeau came on. I was a bit shocked. He said the Rivian R1T, that's the best-selling electric pickup in the U.S. Are some of these upstarts, are they starting to pull some of the market share away from the OEMs? Those are very interesting products out there and bringing excitement into the market, but also making a competitor for making it more competitive for those established players. Ford just does not... Uh, is not the king of, of of pickups when it comes to the EV market. And not to say that their their offering isn't appealing to people, but there is huge competition, and it's only going to get harder uh, later this year as as Tesla brings out its Cybertruck, uh, which is going to kind of probably appeal to a different kind of subset of buyers of pickup. But nevertheless, uh, in in the electric space, add a lot of a spark and uh, comp competition. Yeah, I would imagine uh, investors are also looking at the possible threat of Chinese automakers entering the U.S. market as well. Long way away, but still a possible threat. Tim Higgins, it is great to see you as always. Thank you. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, coming undone, Meta facing a user retention crisis at Threads. What Mark Zuckerberg and company are doing to reverse what they consider an unsettling trend. We're going to be back right after this with more on the story. It's right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Wall Street looking to bounce back after hawkish policy out of the Bank of Japan. It helped pump the brakes on the market's win streak. However, futures are higher. Those gains being fueled in part by Intel. Shares are surging as it's losing streak on earnings. It comes to a halt. But CEO Pat Gelsinger warning of more headwinds ahead. And Meta looking to lure Threads users back to the social platform after a massive drop-off following a very splashy debut. It is Friday, July the 28th, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we're going to pick things up with the check on U.S. stock futures. Dow futures, they are higher, being carried in part on shares uh, by shares of Intel following its earnings report. We're going to have much more on that in a moment, but taking a look, Overall, green across the board. Again, as we mentioned, the Dow up fractionally, the S&P up about a third of a percent. The Nasdaq doing the best, up over a half a percent, also getting a boost from Intel, Intel, a Nasdaq stock. We also want to take a look at the U.S. bond market on the back of that Bank of Japan policy decision. A lot of people talking about that here in the U.S., the 10 year yield now surging back above four percent or just below four percent, just changed just a second ago, but really just a tick below four percent. But you're seeing this big upside move after the, J the Bank of Japan and its announcement when it comes to YCC. We're going to have much more on that coming up in your global briefing. But again, 
10-year right now, the yield just about at 4%. Big upswing there. We also want to take a look at oil. We just had John killed up here a moment ago saying that stronger than expected GDP report giving oil a boost. Oil tipped just above 80 bucks a barrel, uh, has dipped back below down just about a, a quarter of a percent right now. Brent crude, same story, down more than a third of a percent. Natural gas just fractionally lower, but we'll continue to watch the oil market. All right, let's turn now to one of your big money movers. We are talking Intel. That stock popping on the back of Q2 results that beat estimates and marked a return of profitability for the first time after two quarters of record losses. Arjun Kapal joins us now, and he's going to break down the numbers. Arjun, good morning. Give us a sense of which you saw this report. Good morning, Frank. Well, look, stability was the key theme for Intel. It wasn't a blowout report, but investors certainly cheered the return to profit in Q2 with net, net income of $1.5 billion versus a loss in the same quarter last year. That was driven by cost cutting as Intel has continued to exit lines of business. Secondly, there are signs of stabilization in Intel's core client computing group, which includes PCs, with revenue falling 12% in Q2 versus 38% in Q1 amid a very weak PC market. But look, it was still a tough quarter with Intel seeing declines in nearly all of its businesses. The bright spot? Intel's foundry chip manufacturing unit, which saw revenue rise more than 300% year on year, albeit off a low base. Catching up in manufacturing is, is a key ambition for Intel and its CEO, Pat Gelsinger. So this is certainly welcome news. For the third quarter, Intel gave a rosy outlook, expecting earnings of 20 cents per share adjusted on revenue of $13.4 billion at the midpoint ahead of analyst expectations. So far, investors are backing Pat Gelsinger's strategy here, which shares up 7% pre-market and 30% this year, Frank. All right. So obviously, investors are very enthused about what they're hearing from Pat Gelsinger and Intel, as you mentioned, shares up 7 percent. What are some of the potential long term challenges for this company? Well, let me just quickly say short term, there are concerns about whether there will be a pickup in demand for PCs, which could impact Intel long term. Two things I'd say. Firstly, can Intel compete in the AI age? We've heard from Intel that some money is shifting into people buying GPUs for AI, AI the kind of chips that NVIDIA sells. Intel has some rival products in the pipeline, but it has a big task in challenging NVIDIA and convincing its, its uh, products are right for the market. Secondly, Gelsinger's big ambition here is to get Intel back as the leader in chip manufacturing, a position it lost many, many years ago uh, through its foundry business. And, and they want to compete with the giants, uh, particularly the Taiwanese giant TSMC and South Korea's Samsung. Gelsinger admitting on the earnings call that there's more work to do, but certainly the company has ambitions and an ambitious roadmap to catch up to those two firms by 2025. It's begun to ramp up production of the Intel 4 chip, uh, build using its latest technology. Uh, it will take billions of dollars of investment, though, to catch up. Uh, and the whole roadmap is there. Uh, the key will be execution, Frank. Yes, a lot to watch there. Arjun Kapal, great reporting as always. Great to see you. Intel shares up 7%. Thank you. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. We have Bertha Coombs. She's here this morning. Bertha, good morning. Hey, good morning, Frank. Meta is reportedly planning on taking new steps to try and keep Threads users on the new app. According to Reuters, CEO Mark Zuckerberg tells employees that the company is heavily focused on boosting retention on the new social media platform after it lost more than half of its users weeks after its launch. Zuckerberg said he considered the drop-off normal and expected retention to grow as Meta adds more features to threads. They might need to change it up 
So it's more like Twitter if they really want to compete. Meantime, American Airlines Pilots Union says it's struck a deal in principle with a carrier on details for a new labor contract. The union says that agreement would bring American Air in line with the gains for pilots at rival United Airlines. Union reps did not give specifics on the revised agreement, but American Airlines CEO has said that bringing the proposal in line with United's would cost more than $9 billion. Pilots are expected to start voting on that deal sometime next month. And GameStop says its CFO is set to resign next month. The exit marks the second high-profile departure in two months after the company's CEO was fired back in June. Shares of GameStop facing pressure on the back of this latest shakeup this morning looks to be about flat. So a lot of change going on there, Frank. All right, Bertha Coombs. Bertha, always great to see you. Thank you very much. All right, turning now to our week-long summer special where we've been highlighting some outside-the-box and under-the-radar investment ideas from emerging markets and luxury to real estate and crypto. Here's a few highlights. Southeast Asia, even Latin America, um, talking about Brazil, Mexico, these are some of the opportunities that we like in the emerging market space right now. There's inherent value um, and an emotional connection to those, those luxury objects. So we're really seeing that our under 40 audience is growing exponentially, um, and uh, as well as new clients, which are about 50% of our business in the luxury division, actually. We look pretty fairly to attractively value uh, versus the S&P. Uh, we think we look relatively attractively valued. Perhaps versus fixed income benchmarks, they look a bit more fully valued. Uh, but look, we think the sector offers uh, good attractive yields here, 4% average dividend yields. The balance sheet's in really good place. The payout ratio is relatively low. And there's a decent growth opportunity. Winter is over in terms of crypto. Um, I called that a couple of months ago, and I stick by that today. Bitcoin's core use case is when there are concerns in the TradFi sector. We saw that a few months ago. Uh, and just now, and, and as uh, Mackenzie just mentioned earlier, we're getting close to the next halving uh, cycle. All right, now we're closing out the week with a look into private equity. New data out this week from S&P showing global private equity and venture capital deals with values of more than $1 billion are on track for their slowest year since 2019. But with private equity moving back to the spotlight this week, notably with two well-known firms pouring $400 million into a buyout deal for PacWest, could we? be in the early innings of a rebound. Let's talk more about this with Christoph DeVuser, partner and head of EMEA Private Equity at Bain & Company. Christoph, good morning. It is great to have you here. Good morning. Nice to be there. All right, let's jump right into this one. Private equity is an area of the market really dominated by names like Blackstone, KKR, and Carlyle. How can the average investor get exposure to this part of the market? Well, there's increasing um, retail investments uh, uh, going on into the private equity market. So the big funds like a Carlyle, uh, a KKR and a Blackstone are increasingly uh, building offerings that will be accessible uh, to the retail investor as well, uh, starting as low as ten or $25,000. All right. Very interesting. So are these private market deals? Do you have to be an accredited investor or just your average retail investor can get in on these? Yeah, increasingly, the uh, the average credit uh, retail investor will be able to get access to those offerings. Um, and increasingly, also digital offerings and digital platforms allow retail investors to get access to this market. Yeah, it's a really interesting trend. What about investing in those companies themselves? For example, KKR is a publicly traded company, so is Carlyle. Um, 
Yeah, this can be interesting investment as well. And the market has rebounded from uh, um, on on those uh, on those companies as well. Um, of course, you're you're investing into the long-term management fee streams uh, that these companies uh, have, and you're backing on the continued growth of the private equity and uh, private uh, asset class. All right, very interesting. So I want to talk about some research. Uh, dry powder, that's the money that private equity companies have to, to buy things, to do whatever they're trying to do. It's pretty much at a record, $3.7 trillion, trillion with a T, just about the same as last year, just under a third, $1.1 trillion in buyout funds. Why is so much of that dry powder still on the sidelines? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting fact. There's $3.7 trillion of dry powder, as you say, which is a, a few years of uh, typical investment in the, in the private equity industry. And it's on the sidelines because uh, the industry has been waiting uh, to exit because of the uncertainty in the market. Where are the interest rates going? Um, how is the economy going to evolve? And now what you see is there's not just 3.7 trillion of dry powder, but what's more interesting is there's 2.8 trillion of unrealized value mm. in the current private equity portfolio companies. And so the industry needs to get going um, to start exiting again uh, the type of companies they've been waiting for 12 months on the sidelines. And it's time to get moving. It's time to get those 2.8 trillion back to the market. A quarter of those companies are already in their portfolios for longer than six years. And so the industry cannot uh, continue to wait on the sidelines. All right. Something we'll continue to watch here on Worldwide Exchange. Christoph DeVooster, great to have you here. Hope to have you back. Thank you very much. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the Bank of Japan throwing a wrench into the global markets as it pivots its ultra-loose monetary policy, plus what could be the most expensive Apple product ever made. And they're heading to the auction block. Details on a vintage pair of Apple sneakers when we come back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. Wall Street not feeling the love for Southwest Airlines this morning. Deutsche Bank and Raymond James cutting their ratings and their price target on the airline. Bank of America cutting its rating shares of Southwest down more than a half a percent in the pre-market. Stiefel upgrading its rating on Crocs to a buy. It says while its latest earnings were kind of a mixed bag, the positives outweigh the negatives and the reset in shares presents an opportunity for investors. Take a look at shares of Crocs up more than one and a half percent in the pre-market. And J.P. Morgan hiking its rating and price target on New York Community Bank to overweight and $16 a share. JPM citing what it calls a new energy at the bank and says the stock features an attractive valuation, taking a look at shares of NYCB up almost 2%. And time now for your global briefing. We begin with the Bank of Japan officially announcing it will be tweaking its ultra-loose monetary policy to allow the country's benchmark 10-year yield to rise above 0.5%. That shift is meaningful because it could result in Japanese investors who have traditionally held large holdings of U.S. fixed income and other U.S. securities. It could lead them to pivot back home to invest. We saw the Dow fall yesterday on concerns. Those investors will chase higher yields within their own country and sell their U.S. assets along the way. Shares of Standard Charter popping in overseas trading after reporting a 27 percent jump in first half profit even as growth in China continues to stumble. The bank also announcing a $1 billion stock buyback plan. And shares of AstraZeneca also getting a boost on the back of better-than-expected second-quarter results. A strong performance by its blockbuster cancer drugs helped offset losses from COVID vaccine sales. Those shares right now up more than 4%. 
All right, ahead, we have the one word that every investor out there needs to know today, plus why your next guest says now may be the time for some profit-taking and making a pivot to a few undervalued names. The industrial stock that is very high on our radar. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this break. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. We start with a pair of solar names moving in opposite direction. Shares of Enphase Energy falling on week Q3 revenue uh, forecast due to a drop in demand. First solar shares rising after announcing plans to build its fifth U.S. manufacturing factory. Also, topping estimates for its most recent quarter. Boston Beer getting a boost after crushing earnings estimates, benefiting largely from the 4th of July holiday and reaffirming its full-year volume and earnings guidance. Those shares up over 9%. Intel shares also jumping after the chipmaker showed a return to profitability following two straight quarters of losses. Revenue did fall 15% year-over-year, marking the sixth consecutive quarter of declining sales. Those shares up more than 7%. Shares of Surf Air Mobility bouncing back in the pre-market after sliding more than 75% on its public market debut. Surf is the first direct stock listing of the year. Take a look at those shares. They're up almost 10% in the pre-market. Again, they fell big uh, yesterday in the public market debut. Vietnam-based EV maker VinVast starting construction on its North Carolina factory this morning. Its first production plant here in the U.S. The hub is expected to start operating in 2025. That's a year later than its initial target. And Sotheby's is auctioning a pair of ultra-rare Apple sneakers from the mid-90s. Take a look at these. The price, $50,000. The sneakers were custom-made for Apple employees for a one-time giveaway, and they even include the original rainbow logo. Those, that's, wow, that's a, that's a get for some sneakerheads out there. All right, back to the markets. Here's what to watch today. On the economic front, June core PCE and consumer spending out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern and in earnings, <coughs> excuse me, Awaiting reports from Chevron, ExxonMobil, and Procter & Gamble. That's all before the opening bell. Those latest results officially bringing this earnings season right to the halfway point with the second quarter expected to be really a low point for S&P 500 earnings with some better days ahead. We have our Bob Pisani. He's going to lay out where we stand as investors gear up for the busiest week of quarterly reports coming up next week. We are at the halfway point for second quarter earnings. Now, there's mostly good news. About 80% of the companies so far are beating estimates. That's a little higher than normal. The second quarter is going to be the trough for earnings for the S&P 500. The quarter is expected to see earnings down about 7% from a year ago and are expected to improve in the third and fourth quarter and into 2024. Now, the reason the stock market has held up so well is that estimates for the second half of the year have remained very stable. Remember, the stock market's a discounting mechanism for a future stream of dividends and earnings. What matters for stock prices are how the estimates for future earnings are changing. That's why investors pay more attention to guidance, which is forward-looking, than to reported results, which are backward-looking. So investors are always asking, is the earnings trend up, is it down, or is it sideways? For the S&P 500, the overall earnings trend earlier this year has been that estimates started higher in the beginning of the year, but they've been coming down. Now, that's pretty typical. The good news is that after coming down in the first half of the year, estimates have stopped dropping for the second half of the year. Estimates for the third quarter have been stable for several months. So this is a change in the trend. The trend is no longer down. Bulls still need earnings to move up to justify the higher price, but that is not yet a deal breaker. Back to you, Frank. All right, that was our Bob Pisani. For more on this and the trading day ahead, let's bring in Lizzie Evans, managing partner at Evans May Wealth. Lizzie, it is great to see you. 
Good morning, Frank. All right, so our Bob Bassani just kind of laid out the importance of the earnings season, especially guidance. What's been your take on earnings so far? What are you expecting when it comes to today, the busiest day of the earnings season? Yeah, you know, I think going into Q2, uh, the the street was very pessimistic on earnings, which we saw in Q1, and we had a lot of nice surprises. We're halfway through; we've had a, ni- a lot of nice surprises. So I think that um, I think that that's going to continue. I think um, we have a couple big reports here this morning. PC is expected to be plus zero point two percent month over month. So um, the the market's certainly pricing in that the Fed's not going to raise rates again um, to the extent that PCE comes in hot. That could spook the market, but that is certainly not my expectation. All right, you're talking about some nice surprises as we're showing the futures right now, moving pretty much to its highs of the morning. Yesterday, we got a not-so-nice surprise, at least for the markets, the BOJ with its uh, yield yield curve control plans, um, allowing its benchmark 10-year to rise. It had a negative impact on the markets. Do you see that weighing on the markets again today? It's hard to say uh, one day over day, you know, the Dow, we were hoping to see a, a longer winning streak on the Dow, but the Dow is that that winning streak is still the, the greatest winning streak we've seen since 1987. So I think in the short term, that trend continues. And I think overall, if you if you look at the 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 other 493 names in, in the market, not the the uh, magnificent seven, those companies are still trading at 17 times earnings. So I think that there's opportunity for value expansion, valuation expansion, and those other 493 names throughout the rest of the year. Okay. If you're looking at the market diversifying and broadening out with that thought in mind, what is your WEX word of the day? My WEX word of the day is hog. And you might think, what in the world? Why hog? (laughs) But um, Greg, I don't know if you've ever heard the old saying that Pigs get fed and hogs get slaughtered. Um, one pearl of wisdom I was taught by my father uh, about investing years ago is that you never go broke taking a profit. So I think that um, if you look at the Magnus- Magnificent Seven, the, the big get- mag- mega cap tech names, the Microsoft, Amazon, Amazon, Googles of the world, they represent 28% market cap, but the S&P run year to date up 18%. Much of that is due to the big mega cap tech stocks. So I think now's the time to trim some of those positions, take some profits and redeploy the capital and either undervalued or underweight positions in a portfolio. Okay, so with that in mind, uh, I know you advise ultra high net worth individuals and families. So are you advising them today to take some of that money off the table? And if you're taking money off the table, where does the money go? Are there any other moves that you would advise your clients to to make today? Yeah, so so Frank, we're constantly rebalancing, and for us, what that means is, as you know, if you have a position, let's say that's doubled its size in a portfolio, um, it's time to trim that position. So, for example, Nvidia. It's not to say we don't like Nvidia. We think mega cap tech. You know, you've got mega cap tech with strong free cash flow generation, great balance sheets. There, there are secular tailwinds with AI, so we like mega cap tech. But I think that. For example, we're trimming NVIDIA and we're buying General Electric, GE. I think that there's a lot of opportunity there. Okay, very interesting. So GE is one of your plays. Um, what else are you expecting for the market day ahead? We mentioned the Bank Japan decision, um, a lot of earnings coming up. How do you see this day playing out? Yeah, I think that we're going to, I think that volatility is is here to stay. So I think that we could see, you know, given how much the market has run up here to date, we're using volatility to 
to buy uh, as um, uh, companies that we want to own um, and, okay. and be opportunistic about when we're buying them. But I think that we, we see the market move higher. All right, Lizzie Evans, great to have you here as always. Thank you again. Uh, as we mentioned, futures Thanks, are pretty much at their highs of the morning right now. We're seeing the NASDAQ doing the best out of all the indices boosted by Intel. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.